Oh my god, abolish the credit score. I don't know. Let's talk about sex, I guess. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, okay, I am Aaron. Oh, I guess welcome listeners. I guess I should start with that. Like, Jamie and Tina here are just so charming that I forget that some other people are like who aren't physically in front of me might exist. But yes, uh, hello, listeners. This is Erin, your master of mediocrity, here with two wonderful ladies who I'm going to let introduce themselves. Take it away. Hi, I'm Jamie, the Dame of Discourse. You might recognize me from For Everyone Media Review section, Here Everyone Reviews, where I write semi-weekly reviews about books like uh, Finger Guns, um, Eat the Rich, and a book by the author we'll be talking about today. Welcome to Girls Talk Comics. So our lovely, beautiful, wonderful, very talented guest. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? Who's, where am I? Whose clothes oh, are these? Better question. Yes. Whose clothes are those? <laughs> this is an old CBGB shirt that I, I, you probably can't see it. I turn around. Great, great podcast content talking about visual things. This shirt I got was handed out at a um, a fundraiser for the band Pussy oh, Riot, Pussy Riot. Um, yeah. when they had first been arrested. So it's like it's a CBGB shirt in the front and a free Pussy Riot shirt in the back. Um, the Mullen and, shirts. Um, yeah. So that's so yes, it's definitely good, my good, good, good. <laughs> that's for yeah. sure. <laughs> Um, I'm Tina Horn, and I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, you want me to talk about, you? yes, you want me to talk about who I am and what I do. Okay, so I am the creator and writer of a comic book series called Safe Sex, which is usually written as SFSX, which is harder to say but easier to put in a search engine. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so Safe Sex has two trade paperbacks out now from Image Comics. The first one came out in 2020. It's called Safe Sex Protection. That's volume one. And volume two came out in late 2021. And it is called Safe Sex Terms of Service. And Safe Sex is a science fiction, action adventure, social thriller that is about a group of sort of underground sex rebel rebels living in re- revelers, re- rebellious revelers. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of revelry going on for sure. Yes. Uh, Bacchanals, etc. Who uh, are are living in a not too distant future American dystopia that is where where um, sexuality is highly bureaucratized, surveilled, policed, oppressed, etc. So. Of course, the heroes of this story are queers, sex workers, pornographers, perverts, leather folks, sluts, just anyone who does not fall in, in line with the uh, very like religious right yeah. nightmare dystopia of what sexuality is allowed to be, what it's allowed to be in public, even what it's allowed to be in private. And so the our, so our heroes, these sex 
revel, revelers, revelers. <laughs> <laughs> rebellious revelers, um, are call, uh, have a, have a club, like an underground club called the dirty mind. So that you can kind of think of them collectively, um, as the dirty mind and the sort of villains of the story are, is this like, you know, dystopian government called the party sort of ironically, you know, Orwellian <laughs> name, um, called the party. Fairy. Yeah. They're not very fun. No. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, the uh, prote- Safe Sex Protection, Volume 1, is a bit of a jailbreak tale. And then the newest book, Volume 2, Terms of Service, is a little bit more of a cyber thriller with a lot more body horror and a lot more... Whereas in the first book, The Dirty Mind was trying to break into uh, this, you know, uh, again, very Orwellian government space called, ironically, called the Pleasure Center to, like, get some of their comrades out. Now, uh, in terms of service, there are some, you know, dirty mind uh, comrades being imprisoned at the Pleasure Center who are trying to use all of the things that make them special, their ingenuity, their, their sexuality, their creativity, to try to get out. And then meanwhile, the dirty mind has been sort of pushed further to the edge of town in a sort of like allegory of the sexual gentrification of San Francisco by conservative tech culture. And they're trying to like figure figure out how to like survive and thrive. So that is safe sex. It is for adults. Yes. Um, Absolutely. It is mature. (laughs) It's for grownups. And it has a lot of very explicit kinky sex and a lot of pretty extreme at times ultraviolence and a lot but it's also like fun I think and funny definitely is um, (laughs) and like I don't know colorful and vivacious and and like you know it's made a, a, oh and I should I I always want to say up front because sometimes we get caught talking about all these things and and then it's like very important to just say like right off the bat in comics like comics creation is almost always a collaboration unless you are like somebody who um can like do it all, which I am not. I'm not a visual artist at all. I come to comics from a background in nonfiction writing, actually, in journalism, as well as like performance art and the sex industry. So the art team of Terms of Service, there's been a lot of different artists um, involved in safe sex, but the the art team for the latest book is Jiramara Johnson, who did the pencils and inks. Kelly Fitzpatrick did the colors. Steve Wands is the letterer. Lauren McCubbin is the editor, designer, and Antula Lote did the cover. And so that that is just an incredible art team that I am so thrilled to have worked with. And like all of their work is like the word I like to use is juicy. Like <laughs> every everybody is just everybody's just it like juicy in like the like sexy, pleasurable way, and then also juicy in the like oh god like those fluids are like spilling out in a scary way like you know it's just like everything that can like squish or ooze they have a range you know they they can hit all of it like yeah yeah Yeah. but very fluid it's a very fluid book in like all senses of the word the aesthetics uh that of the of of the book that we were really trying to lean into is like 
part wet at part wet ass pussy video, the Cardi B Megan the Stallion video, and then part Tron. So it's like part WAP, part Tron. It's like glitchy cyber thriller kind of a look, but then also just like oozing horniness. Oh yeah. So that's that's what safe sex is about. That really yeah. sums it up as a reader. Like uh, I was just like. What is this theme that I'm looking at? And, you know, you pop, use the buzzwords Orwellian. Now it's cyber, like, mm-hmm. horror with the little, you know, yeah. wet-ass pussy. So it's very, like, yeah, yeah, that that sums it up very nicely. Next time I sell this to an adult, I'm going to be like, so it's an Aurelian cyber horror wet-ass pussy. Awesome. And they'll just be like, what? I'm like, yeah. yeah. It's 1984 to a Cardi B soundtrack. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I love that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that. So what really stuck out with to me with that was your mention that in the second volume, as the dirty mind had to move further away, you mentioned the gentrification of sexuality in San Francisco. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. I am from the Midwest. So sexual repression is a thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bible belt here. So absolutely. So I've never like heard that turn or really seen, I've seen that phenomenon because there are queer communities in this space and in like bigger cities that have been pushed out or certainly as like more bachelorette parties show up at, you know, gay bars and things like that. Very good example. Yes. I have feared Silicon Valley for how they treat food, but I've never thought about it in regards to sexuality. Mm. I mean, I thought about it in regards to race and history of pushing out and like clearing out historical yes. areas. But I mean, it, I suppose I never grasped the actual geography of where they're kind of like, what's up? I know this is really important for queer history, but here I am. I need your space and I'm going to take it because I have a lot of money and we're going to make it look super boring. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean... So first of all, gentrification is always intersectional, uh, by which I mean, like, if I'm specifically talking about the ways that in San Francisco, the culture, the visibility of queer culture in the form of leather bars in the Soma district or in the form of cafe and club culture for queers of all kinds, the presence of sex toy shops, the presence of indie theaters, like showing indie porn, like in the, in the mission district in, in San Francisco, the idea of gentrification and wealthy, influential people being attracted to the edginess of that but then wanting to appropriate what is useful to them and then marginalize the people who have created the culture where they're like siphoning off the like edginess of that, that always is also going to have to do with race. It's also always going to have to do with class because any kind of social disenfranchisement, whether it's interpersonal or infrastructural, is going to push the most marginalized people to the edges of society. And like, if that sounds abstract, what I'm literally talking about is housing. What I'm literally literally talking about is the ability to exist in public without being policed. What I'm talking Mm -hmm. about is the ability to, to be able to get like a job, whether it's a job as a server or a job at a tech company while being visibly trans, for example, Mm -hmm. or having a history that people can point to and say like, well, it's like not respectable for us to hire you. And then like people don't, have access to their basic needs 
in order to survive, let alone thrive. That is something that I'm trying to talk about in a sort of allegorical, but sort of just like literal way in, Mm -hmm. in safe sex, because the Bay area is a place that I grew up near and then lived in for a decade. And I'm still like, you know, feel very close to, but honestly you, you can live anywhere in the world and be experiencing sexual gentrification because the new site of sexual gentrification is the internet Mm -hmm. and the way that people, again, existing at the intersectionality of like so many different identities are marginalized and like not allowed to access certain platforms, kicked off of certain platforms, not being allowed to use payment processors. You know, this is both about like representation and visibility and community and all of these things that are really important, but might feel like, okay, are these like part of your basic needs? But we're also talking about like literal like economic justice and like the ability of people to like survive and support themselves and not feel like their existence is like completely stigmatized. Anyway, I hope that- No, that- No, no. I I mean, I'm happy to talk about like all of this stuff, but I also hope that this is, um, I want to make sure that this is like really grounded in things that people can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if I can- Let's see if yeah. I can point out it, an example from the book, if that's cool. And then Jamie, I'm going to let you take it away because I know you're fucking pumped for it. And I'm so sorry. But like in volume, <laughs> it's all good. in volume two, they were welcoming a new crowd of people and they were talking about all the security mm-hmm. to the dirty mind and all of the restrictions and things like mm-hmm. that. And I remember just mm-hmm. seeing like how absolutely exhausted one of the workers was. And that resonated with me mm-hmm. of like, you're obviously not enjoying this. <laughs> you're not, yeah. you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're using these people who are able to go home and have a morally pure life according to the party. Mm. And yet they're coming to you and hiding in your place and taking advantage of mm. your things and then walking away. And I, f- I feel like that's that's at least where I could kind of see that in a very much more professional mm. setting because um, there's also the very much the main story of volume one of that hiding and that shame and the like losing your community and having to reconnect and a lot of all that stuff. And then there's the, also the blatant like, torture but uh in pu- very public shame and yeah. very public displays of destruction and mm. burning things mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot mm-hmm. in there but the a lot of the little things that you mentioned regards to payment styles being able to access platforms skirting the lines of what some moral righteous power is going to be okay with and also some of the ramifications of like teachers got fired Mothers got shamed from PTAs. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of real world stuff. And I kind of just wanted to give some examples of, for maybe listeners, like, this is how you see it. And these things do exist also in like really shitty pay scales for folks with disabilities or like, Mm -hmm. you know, just, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, just, I I love that you noticed that people seem exhausted in the book because (laughs) burnout is definitely a theme that. I wanted to make really present in the book and, and, you know, like sex work burnout, queer burnout, like how it feels socially. And I don't just mean like socializing with your friends, but like living in a like society to constantly be having to like justify your existence on like every single level, whether it is getting an ID or going to work or getting Mm -hmm. a job and keeping a job or, or dating or, like, you know, like trying to secure housing or trying to like access culture or have fun. Like if you're constantly trying to justify, if you, if you constantly are put in the position where you have to justify your existence in order to access everything in society, like, yeah, you're going to be kind of cranky. And there are definitely some characters 
And in particular, this character, Mm -hmm. Casey, who is like one of the leaders at the Dirty Mind, sort of her main character trait, especially in terms of service, is her burnout. And like, we kind of tried to give it some levity and give it like a running gag where like, she's just trying to have a day off and like, play with people like, you know, like have some have some dates and like have some like kinky, sexy fun. And like, at every turn, like every time she's trying to do something like she gets interrupted, which is like good for the action because it's like, we need you for the mission, you know, because like, ultimately, it is it's a comic book, it's an action adventure story. But like, like, she's just constantly like, Oh, yeah, God, (laughs) just trying to relax. And she can't because society won't let her. Yeah, as a as a trans person, I really like rereading it post transition, I really feel Casey's like my inner self who I'm just like, Every time I have to write an email advocating for myself or another email being like, look, my legal name has changed now. Fix this system. Or like every email, every time I have to advocate for myself, I feel a little bit of Casey of just like, I got to do this shit again. Like, this is a thing I have to do. Why do I have to do this over and over and over again? Totally. And then you just sort of have to put up with it, you know? And, and like, that's just, yeah. So I really felt that Casey bit. Even in volume one, because I think that I think the intro of them leading through people was actually in volume one. Mm-hmm. But even the way volume two starts where she's like having a day off and she's like, God, like, can I not have fun here? Like, can I not just like <laughs> have a moment to myself? Like, I was like, oh, God, right in the feels like right there. Yeah, I'm really glad because like the examples mm-hmm. that you just gave are bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Right. And like bureaucracy might seem not the most sexy or exciting thing to critique but i i feel like bureaucracy is like the death by a thousand cuts that i am dealing with like all all the time especially as life becomes more and more online i work in bureaucracy and one of the worst experiences i have working with children is that there are children who are starting their transition or are growing their gender identity in a way that forms aren't allowing my forms have to have legal names and legal pronouns for listeners i have heavy quotes here because i fucking hate that and like it it, yeah it's so frustrating because i'm okay with doing this of course but the amount of emails that I've had to respond to be like, I'm sorry, as I indicated on the paperwork, their name is this and pronouns are this. And could you fix that? They're like, Oh, I didn't notice. I'm like, literally you could have fucking read it, but like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, so no, I, as somebody who works in it, critique it, critique it. (laughs) You're living in the Kafkaesque nightmare. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Critique it all they want. Please everybody else. Like (laughs) universities aren't much better because I work at a university. And when I transitioned, stayed at the same place it was so much like need to get my email changed because my dead name is in my email and then like oh we use different database systems with different names in them and good luck figuring out which system calls from which database and until you get your legal name fixed we don't know what we can do and it's a lot of just like well can we fix this in there and it's just like a cluelessness in a lot of ways of just like oh we didn't know that that was a thing and it's like yeah yeah um, so yeah. Well, you know yeah. now. So what are you yeah. gonna do? About so yeah. Casey, really, I felt Casey's. I felt Casey's exhaustion. <laughs> I'll say that. Mm. Can I do an advocacy yeah. plug real quick? I guess so. For sure. anybody listening and maybe care, there are mm. a lot of outdated and bullshit laws, expectations, policies, whatever the fuck that is limiting public and private, ins- or mostly public, not private 
private can do whatever the fuck they want and you should fight them. But public institutions that limit their ability to change names on in, in programs because of a legality thing. So if people want to advocate for change, that's a thing to focus on that people can have fucking multifaceted identity to capture a lot of this shit. Cause there's a, there's legal stuff where they're like, uh, we need the name. So we know who to charge if you fuck up. But there's also like really stupid shit about it where it's like, we're going to just dead name you and everything. Cause I've seen that with multiple of my coworkers yeah. and it's like, how about yeah. you just like, note somewhere in the behind the scenes beautiful world of programming because fucking computer programs have behind the scenes shit whatever hr file you need to connect it with and then nobody has to dead name this person and we don't have to constantly explain this person's identity again and again for that person like just fucking anyway so listeners advocate for those changes in some capacity we'd really appreciate if you got out and pissed some people off who make policies and tell them it's bullshit and also help your nonprofits be able to afford better programs and technology that allow them to make those changes, but that's a different thing. Anyway, <laughs> backing off that soapbox. Okay, we're go. <laughs> no, but these are all these are all ways that if you have never had to fight these fights or to fear repercussions or consequences, either emotional or your physical safety being threatened. Like if you've never had to deal with that, then you don't understand on a visceral level how these things make you feel dehumanized. They are, you know, they're, they are dehumanizing. And it, it is connected to legislation that we're seeing in the news mm-hmm. right now of who is allowed to have what identity in what category in sports. Yeah. Like who is allowed to have what category and what identity in schools and like what the implications of that are for like even like getting into a world where we have parents who are supporting their trans children and then we're like, Yes, that's good. We've achieved that. And then the state is like, but wait, yeah, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna fuck that up further. You know, I mean, this is this is also like what it means to be a science fiction writer who is like actively working on like an ongoing series that is a dystopia. It's like I'm not taking pleasure in like being right. <laughs> you know, I'm not taking pleasure in like seeing it like play out. Oh hey, here's some here's some good material of something that I could like make a dark satire about. It's like I would love to have no material at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 But I what I do what I try to do like with writing science fiction is to like take these real life things and make them more extreme in a way that I hope is both entertaining for people who, you know, who enjoy thrillers and enjoy horror, but then also, like, well, you're feeling freaked out, like, huh, makes you think. <laughs> like, if this, you know, ma- like, making things, like, sort of more extreme and scary and being like, no, hey, you know that, like, enjoyable, like, heart-pumping, like, fear that you're feeling because you're a horror fan right now? That's how it feels every day (laughs) to be us or to, you know, to be Mm -hmm. me or to be like some of the people who I may not like share an identity with, but I'm in community with and I'm like trying to write about. That's what I see the project of of being a sci-fi writer 
is, is to figure out how to like be entertaining while also like using fiction as like an empathy machine. That's exactly what I want out of my sci-fi. So Mm -hmm. fucking amazing that to get the insight from a writer who's like, I'm writing exactly what you want. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's the power of narratives. And this also ties into, if we take a step back from specific populations, that conversation about politics and comics, you're writing from a cultural perspective Mm. that's influencing your writing. And to the fact that our politics currently equate existence with politics, (laughs) like, you know, yeah. it's hard to not be mm. political when genocide has been a government sanctioned thing. When, yes. and, you know, I can just stop there because that covers so much of history. Yeah. Genocide, yeah. the existence of populations, of ideas, of languages, of sexualities has the eradication of that has been okayed by governments. Yeah. Yeah. And genocide doesn't happen over, not to be flippant, but like genocide doesn't happen yep. overnight. Like in order for genocide to happen, like people need to change the way that people think so that they feel like it is justified. Yep. That like, that they're going to be safer. Mm -hmm. That's where the safe in the title of safe sex comes from is like all of the villains of the story are trying Mm -hmm. to do what they think will make sex safer for themselves and the people that they love Mm -hmm. and they're doing it at the expense of other people and they don't give a shit they're doing it at the expense of of consent and enjoyment too i mean consent plays a huge part in it because it's sex that's you know but it like all of that where all these people are like i need to know all your personal business i'm like i'm not consenting to this like that's not my kink why is that your kink like what are we like find somebody else who's okay with your voyeurism i'm not right And that's the hypocrisy yeah. that is inherent mm-hmm. in in how anti-sex people behave. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very much of, you know, we don't want the government in our stuff, but we do when it's stuff we don't want you to do. Very much like, you know, the parties will let you be free to do whatever you want, but if you have sex, you best report it, and it better be missionary position for a certain amount of time, or you know, we'll have a talk to you, and it's like. How is that freedom? How is how is that what you want? So I do think it's hilarious to have a sex report though. Yeah. They're making their own <laughs> softcore porn at that point. Like, right? Like yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Like totally. Yeah. So, you know, one of the first dystopian concepts that I came up with for the world of safe sex was was very much based on this like the the very emotional feeling of fatigue and burnout around around a lot of different kinds of bureaucracy and sort of thinking about satires of bureaucracy in literary and cultural history, like Kafka, which I've mentioned, um, and then also the Terry Gilliam movie Brazil, which is a really big influence on safe sex. I, th- this idea of paperwork that I came up with like early on in the series of like, what if you had to report every time you had sex and what if your compliance with that reporting like increased something that was kind of like a credit score. And so then we made this purity score that is like part like a credit score, you know, which as most of us know is something that we have that is like, totally feels like really arbitrary 
but has like a really profound effect on our ability to like secure housing or to like um you know all all different kinds of all different kinds of things it's also really racist i'm older than the credit score i think like the credit score is such a new thing in our history and it's like i look at that and i'm like i'm older than my credit like credit scores are like what the fuck is this like yeah oh my god abolish the credit score um but yeah but then there's also this like the purity score is also a little bit like a social score like like social media cachet like the more followers you have like the more uh, you know uh, uh the more the algorithm the more you behave the more the algorithm uh on social media favors you and then the more like ability that that you have to like have things the way that you want them. And yeah, another part of paperwork is also centered around the idea of, of censorship and the federal legal definition of obscenity being I know it when I see it and the the idea that like censorship is totally arbitrary and like the anxiety that you have to live with when you are trying to either you're trying to express your sexuality in like some way that ostensibly you have the right to do as an adult or or just like you your existence is seen as an expression of sexuality right Mm -hmm. in the way that like certain identities are like hypersexualized yeah and like your existence is seen as like sexually inappropriate and the fact that it is totally arbitrary like if they would just give you a rule of like do this in public and don't do this in public like report this to the authorities but don't report this and you'll be safe but actually the way that people are kept in line is when it is like totally like an arbitrary crapshoot and then you're like living in fear and then you suppress yourself and then you're doing the work of the oppressor for yeah. them yeah those are the systems that actually keep people compliant yep. and under control there are way too many real world examples also this book is a fun sexy rom. it is a fun yeah. sexy rock <laughs> it is it's great yeah i honestly when i opened yeah. it and it was like have you ever like came in a room full of all your closest friends and i was like no but what am i missing out on <laughs> well i'll tell you (laughs) but there are also like way too many real world examples of communities and countries living in fear because again that persecution is so tied to their existence personality in some it was very obviously occupation which whatever if you can control propaganda you're a risk to any power that doesn't want you to influence against their propaganda. But then there's, yeah. Anyway, back to the genocide conversation of before, like that's the legit, like I I've recently been thinking a lot about how we expect like a a moral purity maybe from folks in, Mm. in a way are continuing to perpetuate the oppression because like we're expecting the bestest the most palatable of people to represent us in situations. And it's like, nah, man, we're all shitty people. We're all... Anyway. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, purity is... If you've read a book, you (laughs) may know that that history... uh, History will tell us that purity and genocide are connected. What? What? No way. Life lessons on Girlstock Comics. <laughs> like, can't imagine where that would have happened. And speaking of censorship, if no one will allow you allow you to read Mouse, um, then you yeah. then uh, you may never know yeah. about yeah. ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Not that the not that Mouse is the only place that you can read about the yeah. Holocaust, but it's a very good way of reading about the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes, and there if for for folks who are listening yeah. who may not know. 
the mouse has been uh, one of, of many uh, mouse by Art, Art Spiegelman, um, which is a seminal graphic novel. Well, I guess it was originally um, released in serialized format, but it's definitely like a book that is now considered like one of the great graphic novels ever made has been uh, like recently censored in American schools. And uh, that is scary as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, wow. definitely Tennessee. Absolutely. Anyway, so we're going to just bring down the mood now. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing, one thing I did love about volume two, especially is that, so you had these two storylines going through, you had Avery's and then you had the dirty minds. And one thing I loved about both of them was, yes, you're, just, you're dealing with a dystopian story. Yes, all of this sucks, but also just the the emphasis on like love and community. Mm. So, so a lot of dystopian stories are like, how do we bring down the system? Like the whole driving point of the story is, how do we bring it down? And maybe that's coming in volume three, but for me, the Dirty Mind story in volume two was much more of like, okay, our resistance is surviving and remaining mm. a community. And mm. for people going through the shit that we're going through right now, that felt very much like a very powerful message of the superhuman power that these people have is keeping a community going. Oh, it means a lot to me to hear you say that. Um, and even when Denise at the end, spoiler alert, causes the downfall of the dirty mind, the fact that they're just like, look, we know you messed up. It's okay. You're still, mm. we still love you for who you are and you're still our community like that was a very powerful message that i took away from that story so was that like was that you're like okay this is what i'm going for in this in this b a plot whatever however you had it planned out you nailed it and i uh, i i appreciate hearing that so much um both on the the superhuman superpower that the dirty mind has like even as like you know a team is keeping the community alive and then also the idea that even someone within that team who fucked up so royally that not everything is destroyed but everything is is uh is really like dramatically fucked because yeah. of some yeah. mistakes that um yeah. that this character Denis made yes like in a word yes um that is that is what i was going for and trying to portray and it means a lot that 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 is what resonated with you and i guess like one thing that I want to say about it is that it's interesting to be talking about this because something that I struggled with in, you know, I had several like Hollywood agents and managers contact me when, uh, especially like the first issue of volume one was pretty successful. You know, I uh, like, I wasn't born yesterday, so I didn't just like say yes to like the first person who emailed me. I like talked to a lot of different people. I got some counsel and advice and I eventually hired an agent and manager. And when I say hired, like I put that in scare quotes because like, I, you know, uh, like basically gave them permission to start like trying to potentially sell the the rights to an adaptation um, for film or television of safe sex. You know, they were so enthusiastic about it at first. And then I, I knew that I really wanted to be really closely involved because this book is very personal to me. This series is very personal to me. And so, you know, I wrote a pilot which I've never done before. And I mean, I've written scripts before, but I haven't written a television pilot before. And like one of the pieces of feedback that, that you know, my, my reps, this agent and, and manager were like being really stubborn on was the idea 
that the characters were really passive. And I got really stuck on this idea of like, what does that mean exactly? And eventually I like let these guys go because I was just like, you don't, you don't get this. You're not working for me. You're not getting me any of the things that I want. Like I'm gonna just focus on what I know and what works for me. But uh, if anybody out there listening, like (laughs) does want to work with me and does want to make me like piles of money, slide into my DMs. Anyway, like I, I think that the idea of the characters being passive comes from I, I really uh, I'm like uh, I'm, I'm struggling to articulate exactly what I'm trying to say about this but like I really asked myself the question like when I was making when I was writing this when I was making decisions about like what are the characters gonna do like doing an action like what are they like how are they gonna behave what choices are they gonna make like so much of it had to do with the idea of like living with this system and basically just like trying to make the best choices that you can to survive. And then also sometimes making choices like really exemplified by the character of Denis that, that you mentioned, both Denis and Avery, um, who's sort of the main point of view character protagonist of safe sex, like make choices that are actually like sort of like, like selfish because they're so burnt out and tired of like yeah. dealing with what they're dealing with. And like in the moments where they're sort of like the protagonists of certain plot lines, they're making like quite selfish, self-serving choices. And like, I don't see that as passive. I actually see that as like, I'm very critical of both Avery and Denise like choices and, and their, their selfishness, even though I have like compassion and can see myself maybe making choices like that sometimes, but like their choices are actually like, quite destructive I don't know I think it does come from the idea of like again if you've never had to just spend every moment of your life justifying your existence and then like then maybe like a sort of like a selfish choice like the choice that Avery makes in issue one or the choice that Denis makes in volume two would seem inactive but to me, they're like very dramatic choices because they're kind of choices of being like, I'm tired of fighting and I just want to feel good yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um, maybe you have to be more marginalized in order to relate to that. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the, the argument that the people in the Dirty Mind are passive, when you were talking about that, the first thing that came to my mind is when, you know, Texas came out and had their new policy about we're going to treat trans uh, parents of transgender kids as we're going to treat those as cases of child abuse. Or you see any of these other situations where a state does a thing uh, affecting a marginalized community, or right now it seems to be the transgender community has been getting the shit kicked out of us recently. And everyone just says, well, just move, just move, just Mm -hmm. move. And it's like, it's your fault for staying there. And it's like, that feels very much like that. You're just being too passive argument of just like, we can't make those heroic actions that make that so often make up fiction where it's like they make, they do a heroic thing and damn the odds. It's like, yeah. no, we have a shit ton of odds. We can't just up and do the heroic thing. We're just making the best choices out of a situation. So, I mean, just like, yeah. Does that make sense, Aaron? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. May, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think you're really picking up what I'm putting down for yeah. sure. I think, been- yeah kind of reflecting on how many art movies we've seen of just one singular straight white dude that 
mm-hmm. is inherently passive, but is so critically acclaimed because he's living his life and then starts challenging yeah. things. And it's like, so he could do it, but yeah. living a lie and living that, like I was trying to reflect also on if giving up or making selfish decisions for survival or making destructive decisions because it's an easier route or whatever is considered passive act. What's considered an active act? What is considered engaging and doing something active? Is it that forced conflict of your character having some innate flaw that creates constant fallout with other people? Or is it like, what is an active character? Like, I don't know. I don't, I, I I like don't know (laughs) because also like Avery in, you know, this spoiler for like, you know, issue one of, of volume one, like this is basically the very first thing that happens in safe sex. Like the dirty mind is being violently raided by the police and Avery in a split second decides that she is going to take advantage of the opportunity that she has to escape and not only just like escape that raid, but be like, I am going to like set up a new life for myself because I am a bisexual queer woman who happens to be in a relationship with a cis man right now who like has a government job and we can pass and we can um, have some semblance of privacy for a while. And like, you know what? Seeing the cops dragging away my hero, the leader of this community that has meant so much to me, his name is Jones. Seeing them do that makes me realize like I could be next. I like need to escape. And and then in volume two, you know, the storyline we're referring to with Denis is one in which this, you know, very young, you know, probably like a like 19, 20 year old uh, gender character um, who basically was like into... Uh, essentially like our you know safe sex version of um conversion therapy when they were teenager and by the parents which is actual child abuse yeah hot take and a true take that's actual child (laughs) abuse spicy take take it from somebody who's a mandated reporter that that is actual child abuse supporting your child and trying to reduce mental health outcomes and like negative outcomes and take care of them and support them is not child abuse but Sending them to conversion therapy where they get fucking tortured and then have their hormones suppressed chemically and technologically that can be controlled by some white dude in a lab coat in a building. Like, that's fucking child abuse. That is child abuse. Oh, yeah. yeah. Taking away choice and consent autonomy. Like, fuck that shit. Anyway, anyway. (laughs) No, thank you for saying it. Not to riff too much, but this is also an example of of what we were talking about earlier with Denise's situation of conversion therapy, and which is called reformation. Again, slight spoiler for for volume one, but Jones also like undergoes reformation, and actually George, who's uh, Avery's husband, like also goes like a lot of characters like get put through this ringer, and it's like a very extreme body horror torture porn i guess yeah <laughs> um not really in the genre of torture porn but uh i guess it is literally it's more like hostile <laughs> it's not it's yeah. it's it's uh except less bloody and murder related know, it's just very like well yeah. you know it's so again i'm tangenting again but i always i'm so curious about this like genre of torture porn because i love horror and i really don't enjoy 
that genre. And I also like am a kinky person who really loves torture, like consensual BDSM, like sadomasochistic torture. So uh, I'm always like quite curious about why I don't like movies like Saw and Hostel. It's because I don't have a moral or consent or any kind of like point to it, I think. Like I watch the Saw movies and they're just like, oh, you're going to learn a lesson, but we're actually just going to kill you. So there's no like chance to... I don't know, essentially climax. I feel like it's like the torture is very literal. Like the torture doesn't mean anything in those, in those movies. And by the way, I, I have a very strict policy against, I don't like, I don't critique other people's brain candy. Like I love plenty of trash. So my comfort TV watching is glee. Okay. So like, you know, glass houses, (laughs) but, um, but like, so if you like torture porn, this is not, this is not a critique of your taste at all. But like for me, like I find the torture really literal and but I love movies and comics and and literature with torture that is like allegorical basically Mm -hmm. that like represents something else or like off the top of my head like a torture scene that I love is the David Fincher remake of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo where Daniel Craig is uh, is being tortured by spoiler Stellan Starsgard I feel like there's so much meaning about like like while he's torturing him Stellan Starsgard is like talking about oh you didn't want to be impulsive light so you came into my home and then you were fucked like from that moment that because because you like didn't you you just like saw me as someone who was like safe to you and now I am going to like do horrific things to you that I find like incredibly tantalizing and interesting anyway (laughs) reformation torture (laughs) Active characters, I feel like with Denis in in terms of service, the fact that they've gone through, you know, the torture of, of conversion therapy and then they've like been taken in by the dirty mind and like lived their entire adolescence service to the idea of this culture and community and like finally found their like chosen family like through the dirty mind but because of the torture that they endured they have this chip in their head again this is getting into the like cyber thriller like sci-fi stuff they have a chip in their head that makes it so that they can't experience pleasure or pain so they've never actually had any of the experiences that they're like Mm -hmm. fighting for with their community and, and comrades that have like taken them in so then through some of the plot machinations of terms of service they basically like get access to this technological space which we call wet space that is also designed by the party they get to experience pleasure pain sensation and also something that is like totally theirs Mm -hmm. in a way that they like never have before and the minute that they get a chance to experience that they start choosing to lie to their friends about what it's like in there and what they've experienced in there try to manipulate the situation so that they can just go back in there in order to have those experiences even though the reason that they're supposed to be going into this like cyberspace is to try to rescue Avery help the cause so I don't know I guess it's like if you don't know what it's like to live your like the ceiling is pressing down on you and you are constantly like pushing back up against it and you just are like I'm going to take a break for one second to like eat a bag of chips and then your entire world could come crashing down. But you're like, I'm very tired and would like some chips. I guess that eating those chips doesn't seem like an active choice, but that's just because you're not thinking about the existence that this person is living with this sort of Sisyphusian like Atlas 
task of like holding up the entire world or like holding back the catastrophe that threatens them with like every moment. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If that's passive, then I guess I write passive characters. Keep we'll keep doing it then. <laughs> you know, I'm never gonna think about the fact that I don't return. Yes, keep doing it. We'll call that passive core. And then, then it'll come. be like a genre and people will be in high art. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. By the way, I love the mechanism with which Denny gets into the wet space. Like I love oh, yeah. that you have this setup of like, we're just playing with the chip and it's like, what if we do something super kinky? Yeah. Yeah. And, it can, and then it's like, Oh, that works. Like kink solve the problem. Yeah. I mean, but that's that, you know, one of, I've said this before, but like one of the, one of the fundamental, there are, there are a few genre fiction writing lessons that I learned early on in writing comics and writing safe sex. And one of them is that when your character is in a situation and they need to get out of the situation and they need to solve their, they have a problem that they need to solve. They need to use the thing about them that makes them special. Right. So, you know, if you're, Donatello, you make a machine. And if you're Raphael, you use your wit, right? If you're Michelangelo, you are a party dude. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We solve it with party. You use pizza. You know, yeah, lots of problems can be solved by party. Oh, yeah. Um, But but anyway, or pizza. Yeah, for sure. I've never encountered a problem that couldn't be solved with pizza. (laughs) But yeah, so like the thing that... and this is where like my background and expertise, like as a kinky pervert and a sex worker and a pornographer, like comes, comes into play because like, and the, and the sort of like overlap between action and violence and horror and, and sex, frankly, is that I'm used to solving the problem of like satisfying someone's desire by thinking creatively about human psychology and power and pleasure right and so if you have a situation where you have a character who like has a chip in their head and you're trying to like access something about their mind i'm i'm like well we should put them in deep sensory deprivation because like also and then and then because it's a comic then you also have visual for the readers to enjoy and for you know especially working with an artist like Jiromira Johnson Mm -hmm. who really knows their stuff i can say to Jiromira Johnson like okay we're gonna have this like gas mask latex vacuum cube and G's like got it done (laughs) and you know and it's funny too because like there are a lot of kinky things that are used in in visual medium mediums like like comics and and film but that are obviously being employed by people who like don't actually know how those things work or why people like them so I feel like that's something that I can say is special about safe sex is like when people are using bondage equipment or sensory deprivation or even materials like leather or latex or they're or they're using like uh you know high heel shoes as weapons or they're like all of these all of these different things like related to femme glamour and bdsm and sex work and all of these different things which again is like what makes the characters special then you know i can i can guarantee that these things are being employed by somebody who like understands what those things really mean and how they work and has actually experienced them before <laughs> for what for what they really are that's all yeah for what they really yeah. are yeah that's right. i did like that confrontation yeah. with the stiletto in the eyeball oh yeah the stiletto in the eye yeah, yeah. that was that oh, was yeah. 
That was classic. I was like, that makes me happy. Don't ask why that makes me happy, but that made me happy. <laughs> I mean, it's a cop's <laughs> That's eye. true. Yeah. It was a really yeah. fucking bad person. Like, a really, yeah. really bad, bad person. person. Yeah. Which led yeah. to the most, yeah. like, your villains in this story are just so, like, one's just so insidious. It's just very, like, yeah. mm. oh, no, we're about yeah. women empowerment because if we suppress sexual urges, that means that we're going to be you know, better protected. And then you have the other guy who's like, MRAs! And I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> like, yeah. both of them have been around in my life. Oh, like. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Great villains. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what I wanted to show with this world is like, my experience of these like, anti-porn, anti-sex, anti-queer coalitions that are formed. You know, you can see how their ideology overlaps and you can see how religious right is not that different from men's rights activists or incels and second wave anti-porn swerfs and turfs like are not that different from men's rights activists. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was a exactly. uh... oh, yeah. Safe Sex and, like, Bitch Planet, where they hit on all the critiques from, like, second wave feminism and how those Mm -hmm. two ideas Mm -hmm. are so commonly tied are really hard reads, not just because Mm. of how recent it is, you know? Like... Yeah. 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 It's... it's An ongoing. Yeah, recent and ongoing. Mm -hmm. Like, up through this, like, very moment. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's just difficult for me, because I see it and I'm just like, oh, I did this today. I lived this today, and I'm like... Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> do you I, find it cathartic it is really nice when you're like avery when avery's having that conversation about consent and knowing what you want sexually mm-hmm. and like expressing it and using like your understanding of sex and people's wants to kind of control the situation like that there's a level like a message that I would get from that of compassion and empathy that comes with it and then also Mm self-assurance and mutual respect between you and whomever is receiving your service her relationships with the other characters and so that was always just like this is such a fucking feel-good book like there's these villains who just want to hate and be angry and get selfish and then there's the underlying message the good guys is just no, we're just chill with each other and we're doing everything consensually yeah. and we're doing everything. Yeah. Our joy is being able to share a, a pleasure with a with somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's where it's kind of cathartic for me and I guess freeing, but the villains sometimes I'm always like, like very slow through the buildup of the conflict, you know? I'm like, I can't, when's the other shoe gonna yeah. fall? But that's my life, I guess. So, yeah. Well, we certainly, we certainly, you know, do some the villains some of the villains get what's coming to them yeah there's still that doctor out there <laughs> i know ah. i i know i mean at least in the end at least with volume one what i what i the ending of volume one where you know it ends up being like oh sorry your reformation project failed let's let let's let the men handle this was very much of like you think you're feminist but really, you're still serving the patriarchy. And rereading exactly. that again, I was like, fuck yes. I'm on board with this message right here. Yeah, you think you're serving feminism, but are you really? Yeah, yeah. Love that nowadays people are just like, let's just do what we want to do fully consensually mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. 
fully respecting the other participants or partners or, you know, some random person on the street that we decided to bump fuzzies with, whatever. But like, I'm just so glad that that's the message of like, just let me do what I want to do when it's safe and consensual for all involved. Like, that's just, anyway, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but also sometimes that's complicated, like when you're dealing with those social forces, like, for example, the way that Denis is and mm-hmm. like Denis, Denis is in some ways like trying their best and in other ways is like really fucking things up for everybody. Yeah. Yes. That's where it's yeah. unsafe then, I guess, because mm-hmm. they're putting up everybody on like at risk, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But they don't even no. oh, you know yeah. they, they don't know what they're dealing with, yeah. you know. They don't they don't even know what they're risking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're not able to consent. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think that part of it is like, you know, that's I mean, that's not to be Jamie Lee Curtis in that supercut of the press tour for Halloween, but like it's about drauma, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh Denis has been so traumatized by the like limitations of what they could experience that when they have the chance to experience something, they like make a choice that is what harm is there in me having this experience um you know i mean i think i really intended that to be a critique of the way that these systems that these like social systems again like fuck us up so much that we then like end up doing the work of the oppressor for Mm -hmm. them you know i think that denise deserves to have the experiences that they were seeking in the story. And like, as you pointed out, the capacity of their friends to like recognize that they made a mistake and forgive them Mm -hmm. was also an important thing for me to include even as a spoiler as like the end of the book leaves it on a very ambiguous note. And like Denis is like in a, in a state of distress over what they've done by the end of the book. I'm hoping that volume two will like give us an opportunity to sort of like show then like, what does it mean to live with having done that? I'm going to be thinking a lot about, I, and this has been, you know, a growing thing, but now uh, I think when I go to work next week, it's going to be very, what are you asking me to do? (laughs) And question all the motives as one should, Mm -hmm. even though that the conversation we just had really strikes me with a lot of just the work that I do see. I love this context because you're hitting on so many things that are impacting people in a lot of different practical Mm -hmm. uh, ways, like not practical, tangible ways that Mm -hmm. maybe people don't relate. We talk about toxic and abusive relationships and that's what D has with the wet space. And right. Yeah. One of the yeah. kind of interventions that they want ways of combating toxic relationships is having that community forcing through the community. And of course not blaming the victim. Like that's an example, like right. you having your characters go, we accept you because you didn't know what was going on immediately like goes around that victim bl- blaming, like kind of plot point and opens up a potential for a recovery for lack of a buzzword like yeah, that's yeah. yeah actually i really like the comparison that you're making of wet space to an abusive relationship because i had one person ask me if the the denise storyline was like a critique of people getting like getting so caught up in 
sexual obsession that they fuck up their life like essentially like sex addiction or porn addiction right Mm -hmm. or like if you know obviously it's not that big of a leap to look at a wet space as like a a form of the internet right Right. Mm -hmm. it's a little you know i it's like part danger room like x-men danger room and and part holodeck uh, you know from star trek like you know it's a an abstract space that you can essentially like make whatever you want just by imagining it and um yeah so in some ways it is the internet and in some ways it does represent the like alienation of only being able to experience like sexuality or pleasure and connection like in this like literally disembodied way um but I like the idea of, 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 of taking it into a space of thinking of it as like, Denise's mistake was not being obsessed to the point of addiction or compulsion with pleasure or even like having something that was like totally theirs, but that they, because of trauma, they had an opportunity to like get wrapped up in something that was all theirs and they continued going back to it and like got really defensive like when their friends and community were like we're worried about you I think that that tracks a lot more along the lines of what people experience in abusive relationships than it does addiction porn addiction per se it also helps us to to think like well what do we want for Denis as opposed to like oh well Denis is like addicted to internet porn so they should like no. go to no. sex addiction rehab it's like no. well what if we think of it as like Denis got caught up in a toxic relationship because people get caught up in toxic and abusive relationships yeah. all the time they yeah. feel good and satisfy something yeah. that they want for a while mm-hmm. or or like on a roller coaster you know often yeah. oftentimes and i've been there i think also the what i also want to add to the conversation it's a toxic relationship is it makes Denis not the bad guy not not the villain the villain was yeah. the person manipulating the wet space was the web space yeah. and they were yeah. Someone who trusted it. Yeah, it's not even wet space itself, yeah. right? It's not even yeah. the space. The space is neutral, ultimately, yep. right? Mm-hmm. It's actually, you're right. The villain is revealed to be, yes, you know, the mad scientist, yeah. basically, who yeah. is, yeah. who is like, mm-hmm. manipula- specifically manipulating the situation yeah. for their own selfish uh-huh. and destructive yeah. purposes. And so and like, it that's... takes that away from Denise's responsibility, in my opinion, because, mm-hmm. like, they, yeah, they just engaged and trusted and somebody else... Mm-hmm fucked it up like somebody else did the bad thing and they yeah. still have, they're still responsible for their actions mm-hmm. just like if you're, you know i've i've been relationships where i was being abused and that doesn't like just because i was being abused doesn't mean that that i'm not responsible for things that i said or did during that time right but yeah. like understanding like the context of like the way that i might be getting gaslit or the way yes. that i might be yeah. responding to trauma yeah it it doesn't take away responsibility but it, it builds with so much of this of, of safe sex and what i love about especially volume two is empathy and understanding Mm. and trying to see everyone's perspective and that these are people and compassion and love and community are are what are going to keep them going. Mm -hmm. And even with how Avery treats Stacy of being like, this is an AI and she's a living thing that deserves love and her own perspective and I'm going to give her that and treat her that. So I think all of that sort of ties together in, in that sort of theme, which I appreciate. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for bringing up Stacy too. 
Yeah. Which is another thing that, which I'd loved about that was like, yeah, Avery was trying to use her to escape, but it never was. Mm. I'm using you. It was much more of like, I believe in the things I believe. And if, if I can teach Stacy the things I believe and get her on board with that, then maybe she'll help me out when it needs be. It was never like, mm-hmm. Hey, Stacy, kill these guys for me. It was much of like, <laughs> Hey, Stacy, let me like, you're a living thing. Let me help you out here. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like let's get liberated all together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah let's get liberated together. I love that. <laughs> I love that yeah. message. We had talked about a lot. And mm-hmm. one last thing about Stacy. Stacy is an active character because, and she demonstrates active very nicely because mm-hmm. she's hella passive. Mm-hmm. And then she starts to make choices and that's oh, active yeah. so, as oh, we've discussed yeah. today. Our, there you go. Our narrative i sort of think of stacy as like being like uh as as, like making choices like the entire time that like she asks so many questions she's always like what do i do i want to be like she's engaged and reflective Mm -hmm. like holy shit i was kind of i was scared i was like she's too aware but also (laughs) that's really cool (laughs) like you know Yeah. yeah yeah Never um, underestimate a bimbo. I was about to say that. I love that. Terms of service. It's true. It's true. As a Dolly Parton fan, yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so can I ask about the wet space? Uh, another question. Totally. What yeah. was your reaction when you first saw the completed pages with full illustration oh. and color? Because those oh, were just amazing. Just- Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, of course, that that like the credit for that goes to G. Romero Johnson and Kelly Fitzpatrick, and 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 also Lauren McCubbin was a huge uh, had a huge role in ushering us into the the aesthetics uh, of the design. I mean, there's just something so magical as a as a writer, as like someone whose craft is is words and sentences and also like concepts and themes and even like politics and the kind of stuff that that we're all talking about right now like conversation discussion like all of that kind of stuff like there's something so fucking magical about being that person and then collaborating with visual artists who have so much talent and like vision literally and the ability to like communicate with them about what you want to see but also to communicate with them in a way that's like here's what's important to me and now I want to see what is important to you about this how to give prompts and guidance and you know even like writing scripts in in a way that gives artists like the opportunity to do things their way and then like seeing what they come up with that I could never have like instructed them to do if I was like being controlling uh type and I mean (laughs) as a writer I experience this with editors and producers you know like the best editors and producers that I have worked with are the people who basically like see what I've done and then give me a prompt because that, that makes, that makes me excited to return to the page. It like makes me feel like activated. It makes me feel like, Oh, I'm coming up with this. Like, as opposed to um, people who are just like, well, if it was me, I would do it like this. And it's like, well, it's not you. (laughs) So um, so I never, so that's sort of my gauge of like what I don't want to be with the artists that I collaborate with. So how did I feel when I when I saw Wet Space, I, I just felt so grateful that I get to sort of like come up with these 
like abstractions and then see what the artists do with them. I mean, like, okay, an example with G. Romero Johnson is that I really wanted wet space to be like part organic and part mechanical. And G and I talked about movies like Alien and Aliens and Hellraiser and John Carpenter movies and just like a lot of like practical effects stuff going back to things that are like juicy and and gooey uh, and slimy and so then seeing like these sort of textures that G created in wet space that are like very sexual in the sense that they're just like evocative and very Cronenberg-esque also, I should say, like very sort of like fleshy, which is like very sexy, but also it's like flesh that doesn't really have any form so that makes it kind of like terrifying and like uncanny and unnerving and if you're a pervert it's like both at the same time (laughs) So, so that was really fun and then with Kelly Fitzpatrick you know talking about that sort of like glitchiness going along with the organic stuff and that Kelly was using things like waveforms which I like didn't really understand what that was until I saw them and like all of these different things that both that both like that give you I think this like feeling when you're looking at these pages that there's only so much of that that I can do through story and character and dialogue it's fun I don't know I guess it's like kind of liberating speaking of liberation it's liberating to realize that there are like things that I can't do and don't know how to do and it's like and to like trust collaborators to to handle that is just a really good feeling yeah. it's That's good awesome. as a consumer yeah. as well so you're like oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> y'all did fucking awesome. amazing oh yeah absolutely Thanks. You know, I'm looking at how long we've been talking and it's been a delight, but I also am Mm -hmm. wondering if whoever's going to be editing this will be like, what the fuck, Erin? Oh, now they're talking about trauma (laughs) and liberation. (sighs) Again? Jesus. No. (laughs) (laughs) Moral of today's episode is, you know, don't give, don't, be think critically so you can catch yourself if you happen to be buying into the oppressor like you know be aware mm-hmm. of the fact that survival is something we all try for we need a compassion about that is how one might win mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. question love your things. community love your community yes. find your community someone, love your community keep your community yes if someone in your community needs potato chips Give them some potato <laughs> chips and a pat on the head. You know what? That person is an por- important person of the community too. Whoever feeds this yeah. is, is like also important. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like, here's your yeah. water cup with fem, a straw, fem, buddy. Fem like, needs a potato chip person. We need a potato chip person. Okay, noted. Come on now. Okay, great. <laughs> so find our potato yeah. chip person. I love yeah. it. Keep love your it. potato chip it. person. That's a new sticker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Thank you for joining us, Tina. I hope everybody can and will pick up your book, which I believe mm-hmm. we should all advocate for them being found at your local indie bookstores or local comic book stores. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. The extra dollar goes a long way to strengthening your communities because we do continue to persist in a capitalist system, meaning local dollars staying in your local areas could go a long way and really get back. So Absolutely. That is a way to fight the oppressor also.
bitch. It is also because if you, you know, especially with local book and comic book stores, if you ask for a book like Safe Sex, then they know that people are interested in it and then they might order a few more copies and then other people might discover that book. Yeah. Circle of life. <laughs> yeah. The beautiful circle. Beautiful circle. Yeah. There you go. Yes. So local comic book shops or local indie shops because uh, mm-hmm. support that way. Buy safe sex, read safe sex, practice safe sex, enjoy <laughs> safe sex. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so great. Yeah. Thank you. It's been great. Tina, where can people find you on the internet? My website is tinahorn.net. That's T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N-S-A-S-S. Yeah, Safe Sex is available now. Both Safe Sex Volume 1 and Volume 2 are available now wherever fine books and comic books are sold uh, or taken off in the library. You can find out everything that you need to know about me by going to my website or following me on those social meds. Yeah, that's kind of what I got going on. Shit. You can find Girls Talk Comics on Twitter, mostly, and it's me who does all the shit posts, because what else do I do? <laughs> kind of on Facebook, if you go there, and you can find us on most find us on most of your podcast streaming sites. Femme for Everyone Media has a website, which I believe is for everyonemedia.com. Also a Twitter, which is like my part-time shit post place. It's fine. <laughs> Check us out there. We have a Twitch and... Yeah, we have Twitch and YouTube. Jamie, where can we find you? I uh, tweet things at Jamie Geeks Out. Um, and then everything else I do through through For Everyone Media, through our live streams. And here, Everyone Reviews, where we post reviews weekly. Hell yeah. Amazing. Hell yeah. Well, everyone, I... Thanks for all of the work that you do. You oh, guys. Thank you. Thank you for all of your work. That's a... Yeah, thank you. Hell yeah. We wouldn't have comics to 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 talk to talk about if there weren't comic writers writing them. It's true. It's true. You are the main source of my content. <laughs> thank you so much for everybody being here. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye. Tennessee has a lot of positives. Um, I would imagine. <laughs>